Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's no question that the vast majority of rock history involves dudes. It's been a very male thing. Not always, but certainly most of the time. There was a time when it was common knowledge that girls just couldn't rock. They didn't have the feel. They were built wrong. It just wasn't in their DNA like it was with guys. Now, that's crap, of course, but it took a long, long time for those prejudices to be defeated, dead and buried. The original punk rock of the mid-1970s was a great help, thanks to the movement's dogma that anyone with anything to say should be able to say it, regardless of musical ability, social class, race, or sex. Lots of women were able to get on board with that. But then there was some backsliding in the 80s. For example, hardcore punk was amongst the most testosterone-driven bro-rock ever. Women were pushed to the back. And when grunge came along in the early 1990s, it was again very dude-heavy. Even though parts of the grunge world were down with feminist causes and ideals, Kurt Cobain, the guys in Pearl Jam were pretty woke and sympathetic, the scene was still very much a boys' club, very, very male. This time, though, a group of women were determined to carve out their own space, Music that would be about them and for them. Music that would speak to issues that they cared about. And music that could rock just as hard and sometimes be just as abrasive as what the guys were doing. Sometimes even more so. A lot more. They became known as Riot Girls. And this is their story. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. That's Seattle's seven-year bitch from the fall of 1992 with a song called Dead Men Don't Rape. It's from their first full album, which they called Sick'em. All right, buckle in, because there's a lot of intense music coming up from bands that made up the Riot Girl movement, one of the most fierce and uncompromising corners of the alt-rock world. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. Riot Girl bands sprang up largely as a female response to grunge. It was like, oh great, another male-dominated form of music. No room for us? All right, fine. We'll create something of our own and sing about things that matter to us. We're going to fight back against this bro culture and the rampant misogyny in society. And we'll do everything ourselves, from promoting the gigs to working with indie record labels. Some initial inspiration came from female pioneers of punk and post-punk. 
That would include the Slits, an all-female English band who were contemporaries of the Sex Pistols and The Clash. There were the Raincoats, an all-female post-punk band that were often name-checked by Kurt Cobain. Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. Goth Queen Susie Sue. Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders. Exine Cervenka of the LA punk band X. But if there's a godmother to all the Riot Girls, it's gotta be Patti Smith. She was a punk poet, an author, and musician who first surfaced in New York City even before the punk thing took hold. She released four very important and extremely influential albums between 1975 and 1979. They were bold works filled with statements and opinions and everything from religion to racism, from feminist principles to the state of society. Many a female punk and future Riot girl credit Patty with changing their lives. And it should be said, a lot of guys had their lives changed by Patty Smith, too. Patty's most important record was probably her first one, Horses, November 1975. That was the same month the Sex Pistols played their first gig and a good six months before the Ramones released their first album. Powerful stuff, this. Patti Smith and her spin on the Van Morrison and Them song called Gloria. That's from her 1975 album, Horses. Inspiration also came from North of the Border. In the early 80s, there was a band called Fifth Column. They were formed in Toronto. They were very do-it-yourself, releasing material on cassette and publishing their own fanzine. This fanzine often included cassette compilations featuring other like-minded bands. The first Fifth Column album was entitled To Sir With Hate, and from that is, where are they now? Pre-Riot Girl Stuff from Toronto's Fifth Column from 1985. Then we have Vancouver's Mecha Normal. There were two principals in the band, a guy, David Lester, and front person Gene Smith, who, like Patti Smith, was a poet. They were formed in 1984 and are still going at some level. Again, very confrontational, very activist, often writing on feminist themes. Because they controlled everything they released, Mechanormal was able to get records out on a lot of the more important indie labels in the American Pacific Northwest. There was K Records out of Olympia, Washington, Kill Rock Stars, also from Olympia, and Sub Pop from Seattle. Here's the kind of thing they were into back at the beginning. From 86, this is Who Told You So? Another pre-Riot Girl band, Vancouver's Mecha Normal. There's another group that we should mention, even though they never seem to have recorded anything. Sugar Baby Doll was formed down the coast in Portland in about 1985. The lineup featured a former stripper named Courtney Love, Kat Bieland, a screamy guitar player from Minneapolis, and an L.A. bass player named Jennifer Finch. Lots of strong personalities here, which explains why the band couldn't really hold it together. Courtney went off to be Courtney. Kat formed Babes in Toyland, and Jennifer Finch ended up in L7, the all-female grunge band. But while they were together, word spread of the kind of thing that they were trying to do. Like I said, there doesn't seem to be any surviving official Sugar Baby Doll recordings. 
But when the band broke up in late 1985, Courtney and Kat stayed together long enough to be in a new group called Pagan Babies. And from them, we have this, which may or may not have been part of any live set by Sugar Baby Doll. Courtney Love and Kat Bjelland in yet another pre-Riot Girl band. That's Best Sunday Dress from their band Pagan Babies, which uh, I think managed to stay together for about 20 minutes. All this music was fine, but it had no center, nothing to bind it or hold it together. But that would come soon. More in a moment. Welcome back. We're going through the history of what became known as Riot Girl bands, a scene and movement that was at its peak in the early 1990s. If Seattle was home to grunge, you had to go south down Interstate 5 to Olympia, Washington to find where the Riot Girl thing took root. As grunge got bigger to the north, some feminist activists felt they needed to stick out their elbows to create their own space within this newly resurgent punk rock-infused world. Things were loosely based on the thoughts put forward by a couple of magazines. One magazine was called Sassy, which, although directed at teenage girls, dealt with some pretty heavy subjects. Even more important were the zines. These were homemade magazines created on things like photocopiers and distributed to like-minded people, often for free. Zines had always been a big part of the do-it-yourself scene, but in the American Pacific Northwest, the zine situation was particularly well-organized and sophisticated. For example, there was a zine called Puncture that, in 1989, published an article entitled Women, Sex, and Rock and Roll. It was distributed around the area until this was considered to be a manifesto for a burgeoning subculture. These ideas were taken by the young women in the underground music scene, people who felt marginalized by the misogyny they felt soaked through the entire punk rock community. They combined the ideas with leftist philosophies, women's issues, and sexual politics, and birthed this new sound. There were a couple of important events that poured gasoline on things, one was the Anita Hill hearings when she accused Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment, which became a tremendously polarizing thing across North America. Feminists everywhere protested for Hill and against Thomas. Then there were several attacks on legal abortion. That meant more pro-choice protests. Again, galvanizing stuff. In the area around Olympia, the faithful listened to a radio show on the campus station called Chaos, K-A-O-S, the show was called Your Dream Girl, and the host was Lois Maffeo, who would later be in a bunch of bands. Her program was aimed at angry young women. Taken all together, the magazines, the radio show, the music, the attitude coalesced into this. We're more than just the girlfriends of boys who go to punk shows. We're every bit as capable of having our own punk shows. When we play, it's girls to the front, guys to the back. And our songs are about things that matter to us. A major formative event was the six-day International Pop Underground Convention. This was a music festival in Olympia in late August 1991. It was all about independent artists, doing it yourself, and taking no crap. It featured all manner of indie bands, both male and female. Let me read from the poster. As the corporate ogre expands its creeping influence on the minds of industrialized youth, the time has come for the international rockers of the world to convene in celebration of our grand independence. 
Hangman Hipsters, New Mod Rockers, Side Street Walkers, Scooter Mounted Dream Girls, Punks, Teds, the instigators of the Love Rock Explosion, the editors of every angry girl zine, the plotters of youth rebellion in every form, the Midwestern librarians and Scottish ski instructors who live by night are all setting aside August 20th to 25th, 1991 as the time. The first night was called Love Rock Revolution Girl Style, and it featured an all-woman lineup. Amongst the performers that night was a group called Bikini Kill, a group that had been around for about a year, and they sounded like this. Bikini Kill from 1991 with Suck My Left One. Now there's some attitude. The band featured Kathleen Hanna and Toby Vale. We'll come across those names again and again. Bikini Kill was one of the pioneers of this whole scene. Radical feminist politics? No problem. Hard music? You bet. Favoring women at their shows? Check. Demanding that these gigs be safe spaces for women? Absolutely. Kathleen was a student at Evergreen State College in Olympia, helping with an art gallery that sometimes hosted bands. Her first group was called Amy Carter, named after the daughter of former President Jimmy Carter. Bikini Kill came several iterations later and was named after a zine that she published with Toby. So why the name Riot Girl? We're not entirely sure. Some spell girl with two R's and no I. Others insisted that it should be spelled with three R's and no I. It might have come from a 1991 race riot that happened in Washington, D.C., known as the Mount Pleasant Disturbance. Jan Smith of a band called Bratmobile used the word girl riot to describe some shows in a letter to a friend. But then we have another zine published in 1991 by Kathleen Hanna and Toby Vale. They called it Riot Girl with the three R's. The concept was to convey fierceness by putting a, a grr, a growl in girl, thereby taking back any derogatory use of the word girl. So what made a band a riot girl band? That's a tough question. Some identified with the term. Some were lumped in with the scene when they played shows organized by self-identified riot girls. And some were classified as Riot Girls because they sang about feminist things while wailing over ragged garage punk type music. Whatever the case, if you were around back then, you knew it when you heard it. Another early pioneer in this scene, we just talked about them, was Bratmobile. Again, they were from Olympia, three women. And again, this is a band that grew out of the widely read feminist zine scene. In this case, it was something called Girl Germs. Bratmobile was also on the bill for the Pop Underground Convention in the summer of 1991. This is what they sounded like. This isn't an original, but instead it's a tribute to Joan Jett and the Runaways, the all-female band from Los Angeles. This is Cherry Bomb. Bratmobile, covering the Runaways on their debut studio album entitled Potty Mouth from the summer of 1993. Very punk rock in an old school sort of way. 17 songs and everything's done in under 28 minutes. Another pioneering early Riot Girl group was called Heavens to Betsy. Again, they were part of the International Pop Underground Festival. 
and the group was led by Corin Tucker and included drummer Tracy Sawyer. This was intense stuff. Here, for example, is a song entitled Me and Her, which talks about the perils that sometimes come with female relationships and friendships. More short, sharp, female-facing punk rock featuring Heavens to Betsy from 1993. We'll come back to Corin Tucker from the band a little bit later on. While most of the Riot Girl thing was centered around the American Pacific Northwest, it also found a home in England. Huggy Bear was from London and differentiated itself by having a couple of guys in the band. And not only that, but every once in a while, one of the dudes would sing lead. This might be their best-known early song, which features Nikki Elliott, the main singer. It's called Her Jazz, and it's from 1993. London's Huggy Bear with Her Jazz from 1993. The original Riot Girl scene burned very, very, very hot. And anything that intense, that political, that emotional, just can't last for long. That part of the story is next. By the time the middle 90s arrived, the original Riot Girl scene had blown up into a million different pieces, torn apart by different attitudes about media coverage, or lack thereof. There were conflicting messages about what everybody was trying to accomplish, and others were annoyed by how their idea of girl power had been co-opted and watered down by mainstream acts like the Spice Girls. By 1994, Bratmobile, Heavens to Betsy, and Huggy Bear had all broken up. The only original Riot Girl band to make it beyond all that was Bikini Kill. They lasted until 1997. But there was also a second wave of groups that carried on with the mission. One of them was Sleater Kinney, featuring Corin Tucker of Heavens to Betsy and Carrie Brownstein. Now, before you ask, yes, this is the Carrie Brownstein from the TV shows Portlandia and Transparent, not to mention Kirby Your Enthusiasm and a bunch of others. Sleater Kinney was formed in Olympia and named after a road near where the band used to rehearse. They weren't exactly Riot Girls, but they couldn't have existed without the Riot Girl thing happening. They were feminist in their message and leaned left politically. And as the original Riot Girl thing faded... Sleater Kinney became a fixture on the American indie scene for about 10 years, beginning in about 1994. Compared to a lot of the contemporaries, Sleater Kinney was a little more proficient in the musician department. I've pulled out a track for their 1996 album called The Doctor. This is a statement about girls needing female role models. It's called I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone. Sleater Kinney and I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone from 1996. They broke up in 2006, but reunited in 2014. Another group around at the same time as Sleater Kinney was Team Dresch. This was a semi-sorta post-Riot Girl supergroup built around Donna Dresch. She had her own zine in the late 80s and early 90s and became a vocal proponent for LGBTQ issues long before we used the term LGBTQ she later founded a queer core indie label called Chainsaw, which was named after her zine, 
and for a while she played with the guys. Donna was a member of Seattle grunge band Screaming Trees for a bit and toured Australia playing bass for Dinosaur Jr. A good sample of what Team Dresh sounded like is this track from their 1996 album, Captain My Captain. It's a song about Frank, a fellow traveling folk singer from California, and it's called Uncle Frank. Before we wrap up, we should talk about what poet Tracy Morse calls the Riot Girl adjacent. These were artists who had a kinship with the Riot Girl scene, but not actually part of it. They were often a little more polished, not nearly as political, and occasionally heavier and more riff-happy. Well, like who? Well, L7, there were the Lunachicks, Babes in Toyland, and most definitely this band, Courtney Love and Hole. While the original Riot Girl scene is long gone, its influence can still be felt throughout alt-rock. There's the adjacent groups like Hole and groups that followed them. There have been reunions by Sleater Kinney and Team Dresch, and members of the scene have gone on to do other things. The best example might be Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill. They have also reunited, but Kathleen has been very busy doing other things, including documentary filmmaking, acting as a coach at an all-girl music camp. She's married to Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys, They've been together since 1997, and she once dated Kurt Cobain. Which brings me to this story. In 1991, she made fun of Kurt after a night of drinking. She thought he smelled all flowery, like a particular type of fruit-infused deodorant for girls. To underscore the point, she spray-painted, Kurt smells like teen spirit, on the wall of his apartment, teen spirit being this fruit-infused deodorant for girls. Kurt, who apparently didn't bother with deodorant, thought that Kathleen was commenting on his youthful sense of rebellion. He liked what she wrote. He then wrote a song with that title, which worked out okay. Kathleen has also continued making music, which gives me an excuse to play something from her band La Tigra. This is from 2004, an album entitled This Island, and the song is TKO. Sometimes a scene and a sound doesn't have to be around for long for it to have a lasting impact. Think about the original punk rock explosion of the middle 70s. It came and went in about three years. Grunge stayed with us from 1991 through 1995, and it's still part of our musical diet. And the same thing with what the Riot Girls did in the early to mid 90s. It created a new paradigm for fierce, uncompromising female-oriented rock, Many disciples joined up, and we're still feeling its impacts today. If you want more shows like this, there is a vast podcast library. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else that offers on-demand audio. Search for Ongoing History and download all you want. Everything is free. I have my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. You can visit anytime. It's always being updated. And it also comes with a free daily newsletter, which will deliver these updates right to your inbox. 
You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all correspondence is welcome. Just send something over to alan at alancross.ca, and I'll get right back to you. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 